0: we're here, COP28. Are you optimistic about our future?
1: Uh, I'm optimistic in general. A lot of uh, the power of human innovation is showing here and in all, all the work I do.
0: What does that mean? Does that mean that you measure success as in pledges? Do we measure success as trying to do better and putting more money where it should be?
1: Well, in the end, it's all about the human condition. Uh, you know. More people are living longer. You know we've cut childhood death in half. Climate is this negative thing uh, that's slowing down that progress. And so in mitigation, you know we want to make sure the temperature doesn't get too high. And then in adaptation, we want to make sure that the ill effects, uh, that whatever we can't mitigate, uh, that it doesn't reverse, this incredible rate of uh, human improvement.
0: But what are you most optimistic about? Is it business, or is it actually leaders coming together with pledges?
1: Well, climate change—you know—overall, it's a, a challenge to the world. Hydrocarbons have been very cheap. Uh, our economy is built around, you know, coal, gas, oil, and so we we have to make this change. The Progression of inventing new approaches, green approaches, uh, and then implementing them, and over time scaling them and getting them so cheap what I call zero green premium. You first have to have risk capital, then you have to have uh, bigger amounts of capital, and eventually, as they say, trillions of dollars to get every country to replace its steel plants, its cement plants. And so Depending on the emissions area, some of these things like steel and cement were at the very early stage, some like electric cars, at least at the high end. The green premium uh, you could say is zero not for for low cost cars where you park on the street, but uh, you know so all these things you know and, and the faster we go, the less temperature increase we'll see. But
0: do you think we're going fast enough to actually hit the targets that were set out in the Paris Agreement?
1: No, we won't hit, hit uh, no the aspirational targets. Well, you can do the math on 1.5 uh, and you know, even 2.0 uh, isn't that likely. Now fortunately if you stay below 3, a lot of the ill effects that people have heard about don't happen unless you really are irresponsible and let it get up to the the higher range.
0: I mean many people say it's innovation but it's also with making sure that we don't waste energy in in the things that we have now. How are we doing on that? Like again if if you see all of the different components to trying to, to stick to the Paris Agreement is there any low hanging fruit that we should be thinking about?
1: Well there's lots of things in energy efficiency but that's primarily You know, in rich countries where energy's been so cheap that, you know, we leave the lights on at night. We construct things where you have to drive long distances. Most of the emissions are coming from middle-income countries. And what they're doing to build roads and shelter is providing sort of the basic level that I think we'd all agree everyone should have access to. Uh, and, And so and we can't get rid of that, um, we can make it, we can have some, some efficiency. A, g- a good example of that is the current windows were never designed to avoid the heat leaking out. And so if you're willing to pay for this improved window, uh, it's, it's called Luxwall, and there's, there's others, then your, your heating bill uh, goes down. What about food and agriculture? Well, food um, is fascinating because food is a source of emissions, particularly cows and rice and fertilizer. Um, But also, the biggest negative effect of climate is that poor farmers who live near the equator, their crops are going to fail. Far more often, and that leads to malnutrition, which leads to vulnerability and, and and way more deaths. And so we've got to innovate in agriculture, both to to get rid of emissions, but also just so these uh, farmers uh, can have food and you know continue to have uh, their life expectancy go up.
0: But are you? Dis- it's never in a communiqué. Are you disappointed that it's ne- it's never quite the focus of a cup?
1: That food isn't? Well this COP did a better job on both food and health uh, than previous COPs. You know on the first day we had a lot of announcements uh, to the uh, commitments to the group that does better seeds called the CG system. You know they should be famous because in the 1970s when Asia thought their population growth would create widespread starvation it was this CG system with better seeds for wheat and rice and corn that avoided uh, that starvation. Now we need to reactivate that system, include a lot more crops. uh, And and so we saw commitments uh, to that CG system. That was a first for a climate event.
0: Now, you've supported um, a lot of innovative companies with new technologies. Are you optimistic that you're getting extra funds, enough funds of people are interested to reach critical mass?
1: Absolutely. So it was in 2015 I committed, with the Paris Agreement, I committed to create Breakthrough Energy and have high-risk capital for these companies with wild ideas to how to make meat, steel, cement. Uh, and that's gone very well. Uh, we have over 100 companies now. Here at this COP, uh, over 30 of them had these booths where they could talk about their work. And the reason for that is for them to find partners. Uh, you know, These are small companies working at small scale, and so partnering up with big companies all over the world, that's one of the biggest pieces of progress that took place at this COP, because we had more of the big companies came, and that's why the attendance was, was so high. But those side discussions, where people look at the little company and say, "Wow, you can do that! We'll help you uh, make it big, make it cheaper." Um, so I'm thrilled that this breakthrough energy team and those entrepreneurs will be key uh, to solving climate change.
0: But how many of these small companies need to be in developing nations to really also, you know? Become critical, and I, is it difficult to get the flows, the the capital to these smaller companies?
1: So the, you know, a lot of the innovators are in the high income countries, even though they might have been born all over the world, uh, the U.S., Europe. Um, they need to partner with companies in what I call the middle income countries. You know, India, China, Brazil. Uh, that's where two-thirds of the emissions are, are those middle-income countries. So the rich countries, not only do we need to get our emissions to zeros, but we need to be involved in the innovation and the learning curve so that when we say to India, hey, please change your cement, they don't come back and say, but that's way more expensive. You should pay for it and we'll get into a deadlock and we won't get rid of those emissions.
0: And that's happening?
1: Yes. So the Uh, startup cement companies are now meeting with the big cement companies and seeing okay at least in the lab uh, it looks like you can make uh, cement without emissions and that over time if you refine all these things uh, it will be the same cost and so yeah those are the meetings that I'm most thrilled about is when the big companies look at it and say, hmm, this might work.
0: Where do you see the role of fossil fuels going
1: forward? Well, we have to outcompete fossil fuels. Now, to do that properly, they, you know, they shouldn't get subsidies and in fact, a carbon tax uh, over time should be put on so that the new, you know, say the electric car or the plane that use hydrogen, uh, the fact it doesn't emit carbon you're helping it uh, get adoption. Those companies have skills, you know, if you want to sequester carbon or, you know, nuclear waste or, there's a lot of skills. Uh, If you want to make biofuels, uh, you know, some of those companies will take the capital and skills they have, Uh, you know, so I wouldn't, you know, say, okay, I wish they weren't there. You know, people still, you know, there's no country that can say, okay, we have zero emissions, uh, you know, people want to drive to work, you know, in fact, the excess supply, uh, when Russia cut off its supply, you know, the world was sort of glad that 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 was available. And so, yes, oil and gas uh, needs to be outcompeted, and those companies need to join the the effort
0: I, I know you look at a lot of technologies and a lot of innovation, but is there one thing that you've been most excited about in in the past five years or that you're you're most excited about for the future? I know we talk about nuclear fe- we, i mean we talk a lot a lot about the the really big you know exciting stuff. what are you excited about
1: well it, you know I love all my children uh, and I have these hundred companies and you know I never knew that uh, we'd get a new way to make steel or cement or beef. Uh, it's fair to say that if we can get either nuclear fission or fusion to be safe and broadly accepted and uh, very economic because it's not weather dependent, it would be very complementary to the large amount of solar and wind that we're putting into our electric system. And so i'm a i'm biased i am a huge investor in in both fission and fusion, and hoping that uh, it comes in time we we can't count on it um, you know fission it has been too expensive and fusion doesn't uh, exist yet but f- fusion
0: fifteen years from now like what's your i, I know it's a guess at the moment but well of what- the
1: of the four companies i'm invested in uh, one of them, Commonwealth Fusion, has a credible path. Things will have to go well. Uh, that in the late 2030s they'd be making electricity and, and start to scale it up. So uh, that's an aspiration, but it's a great company, and we have three others that aren't quite uh, that early, but you know are within. Five to ten years of that.
0: I mean, we're in a strange place in, in the planet right now because there's a lot of unknowns. It's AI, it's technology, it's of course climate change. Do you find leaders distracted or are they still putting climate change as some of their top priorities?
1: Well, we can't have as our only priority. I mean, you know, we still need to buy vaccines and bed nets and, you know, when there's a, a war, you know, that properly demands attention and even the aid budget, you know, for those refugees and everything. It it is, I wish there hadn't been a pandemic or Ukraine war or Middle East unrest. Those are going to take away from the amount of tension we have on continuing to make health progress and climate change. So, uh, you know, those are, are bad developments. If you'd only seen 10,000 people come, you know, versus 35,000 last time, you might have said, "Wow, we are really getting distracted." Instead, twice as many came here, including a lot of the big businesses. So the signs I'm seeing are that while we still have to deal with those things and we have limited resources, so we have to spend them well, that climate progress uh, is is moving ahead, even though we won't we meet our highest. Uh, aspiration,
0: uh, Bill. Gates, one final question on, on AI. Do you uh, how how does that fit into your vision for?
1: Well, AI is such a powerful technology, and you know this recent advance where the AI can basically read and write. Uh, that's going to affect every human activity, and so we're using AI to find new drugs. We're using AI to look at climate change. Um, and so all of our companies are going to move faster because AI helps them explore different solutions uh, and move a lot, a lot better. So, you know, certainly for challenges like this, uh, AI is very much our friend.
0: Bill Gates, thank you so much. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th